Welcome to The Honest Pour with John Lennart, where we go beyond the bottle to connect you with the people and places that make each wine so unique. We can often treat wine as something just too precious. Not every bottle needs to be an artisanally produced, single vineyard, organic, biodynamic wine that needs a decade of cellaring before it's drinkable. I'm frequently asked about wines that cost around 15 bucks a bottle. Frankly, when it gets into that price range, you need to tread carefully, particularly when you get into the sub 10 buck range. There's a lot of pitfalls there that you need to safely navigate. The good news is there are a lot of wines out there that offer a great value. I met with Steven DeCosta of Austerity, a value wine label from California's Central Valley to talk about what it's like to make a value-priced wine, how he keeps the quality high and the price right, and of course, to taste some delicious wine. This episode of The Honest Pour is sponsored in part by Fooditor.com, bringing you the stories of Chicago's chefs, restaurants, and people who make food all over town. Fooditor.com. Hi, welcome to The Honest Pour. I'm John Lennart. Joining me today is Stephen DaCosta of Austerity Wines, and we're recording this episode at Lockwood's Bar and Grill in the Palmer House in Chicago. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Tell me about Austerity Wines. Where is it? Where are you getting your fruit? What kind of wines are you making? Uh, so the uh, concept behind Austerity Wines is to focus on the Central Coast uh, Appalachian of California. And so we pick three, uh, well, two sub-regions and one uh, general region. Uh, so for the Chardonnay, we have a, a, a Royo Seco Chardonnay, so 100% Chardonnay, 100% Royo Seco f- fruit. Uh, one particular grower, uh, RLS Vineyards, um, very old school grower. Um, that it really kind of highlights Chardonnay and Arroyo Seco being the fresh acidity, the bright uh, apple and tropical notes uh, that you'd expect from a Chardonnay. And then we combine that with some barrel fermentation and then stainless steel fermentation and blend those two together in about 50-50 to really maximize the fruit expression as well as some nice oak aromatics and creaminess and uh, give some length to the uh, flavor um, so that you really can elaborate what Chardonnay should taste like from that Oroseco AVA. It's interesting, you know, people hear, especially today, the trend is people hear creaminess, oak expression, the Chardonnay, and they put their hands up and they shy away. Tell me why this wine might not be that kind of a I think it's the really impactful minerality that Arroyo Seco can provide for Chardonnay, um, that even though this wine has some creamy and oaky character to it, it, it uplifts the fruit that's there and uplifts the minerality to accentuate it. Um, and we use that as a tool on all of our wines to express the fruit as best as possible without overtaking uh, any of those uh, wood tones, the vanillins and the whiskey lactones and all those fun characteristics you get from a toasted barrel. Um, and you're doing barrel fermentation, so you're not fermenting stainless. You're going right into the barrel. Well, it's, it's 50-50. Okay. Uh, so half the lot is separating, goes into a, uh, a, a hybrid-style barrel. It's a half American, half French wood in the body of the barrel uh, with uh, French oak heads. And then we have about seven different toasts we use um, from, like, your standard medium plus to heavy and then uh, some unique profiles that our Cooper comes up with. And we, we mix and match some stuff every year just to kind of try some new versions, see if we can highlight another aspect of the wine uh, in a small, small uh, portion. A little experimentation R&D that we like to do. Um, and then the second half is stainless steel fermented on um, some, a light toasted uh, French oak stave. Uh, just to kind of, uh, it really doesn't add much oak character, it really f- builds that structure. Um, so so it's the, just giving a backbone rather than backbone. kind of aggressive oak. Yeah, it's, it's very light on the oak. You may get a little oaky creamy, but it, 
uh, it really just kind of builds a little structure and backbone. One, because the city is so powerful, it helps um, balance that teeter-totter in a sense. And then what's the next one? Uh, the next one is a San Lucia Highlands Pinot Noir, uh, 2016 vintage. Uh, the Chardonnay is also 2016 vintage. Where about a San Lucia Highlands? Uh, actually, it's just uh, northwest uh, of Oroseco in the Monterey County uh, okay. area. So it's getting up in Monterey already. Yeah, so uh, Oroseco is also Monterey as well. Oh, okay. uh, I forgot to mention that. Um, so Oroseco being down in the valley, and I think Oroseco stands for dry river, or dry yeah. creek. Um, San Lucia Highlands is just up in the hills, a little more to the north, and it really, it just has a, a, a huge elevation gain uh, from the valley floor up to the, the hillside mountains uh, for some of these mountains crest over, and then right on that backside of that is the Pacific Ocean. Okay. So you just have that maritime influence that's really, really strong, as well as Monterey County is a very cold climate uh, because it's just constant fog coming in from the Pacific. and. Being up on that hillside, you get sun exposure a lot faster, and that fog's going to settle down the valley. Uh, so Chardonnay's covered down the valley while Pinot Noir's up on the hillside, getting a little more sun, a little more heat, helps really ripen uh, the, the powerful fruit that can come out of the San Jose Highlands uh, AVA. And so this Pinot Noir is 100% Pinot Noir, 100% San Jose Highlands. It's a mix of two different growers that are fairly similar, um, or fairly uh, close to each other in uh, South Sea Highlands. Um, it's a very small, very narrow sliver there. There's not much uh, acreage in that whole, whole entire area, but it's a, a really beautiful windswept countryside uh, once you're up in the hills going through the vineyards up there. Uh, on this Pinot, uh, it's um, fermented in stainless. Um, we get it at about 26 bricks. Um, pretty hot. Pretty hot. Um, you know, we have a really good Pinot Noir yeast that actually converts alcohol very, very nicely. So you still get fairly low alcohols, considering if you had a, a different style yeast, it'd probably jack it up to 15.5%. So with, um, we do about a three-day cold soak just to get the color starting to stabilize up with some of the tannin in the, in the seeds and the skins. <clears throat> um, we ferment for about 14 days and then press off once uh, dry. After pressing, we uh, rack off heavy lees. Um, we'll try to run it to, uh, through a high-speed centrifuge to kind of clean up some of that um, light, or the, sorry, the heavy solids, get off that for reduction management uh, so okay. we don't have any reduced uh, wines, which Pinot can be. And so we want some light, fine lees that'll go in a barrel with the wine. Um, and that those light, fine lees are really great for building the structure of Pinot Noir, um, especially with just kind of constant stirring and care. So the Pinot will go down in a barrel in all French wood. We use about 50% new barrel uh, of that uh, French oak that we put. And it sits uh, for six to eight months, uh, a light touch, especially because we're using a pretty good amount of uh, new French wood. So we basically want to pull it out, let it come back together um, from all the individual toasts and uh, profile toasts that we use on the French oak barrels. Let it commingle for probably about another six months before it goes to bottle. Okay, um, so six months in wood. Yeah, six months yeah. in wood, six months back in tank, and uh, it'll go in a bottle and probably sit for another three months before it right. goes right out, out on market. Um, and really, these wines are even though they're young, they're they're very youthful, but they're very approachable. Um, we massage them kind of constantly throughout the fermentation and uh, post pressing to really massage those tannins to make them less and less aggressive and round them out as fast as we can um, without being detrimental to any of the aromatics and other structural components. Cool, there's one more wine here, what is it? A uh, 2014 Paso Robles Cabernet. 
So the Paso Robles Cabernet we produce uh, is from a, a wide range of uh, east side Paso Robles, um, usually in the Estrella district, um, as well as um, San Juan Creek. Uh, they're two east side uh, districts that they've uh, recently uh, approved uh, through the TTB. The 2014 was a just a ridiculous year of, I mean, this wine stuck out like a sore thumb uh, from the start. It crushed right in a tank, and we knew that was going to be the austerity lot for the year. It was so dark and jammy and already firm and supple tannins, you know, halfway through fermentation. And it was just beautiful that in that sense. This wine was uh, processed much like the Pinot Noir, cold soaked for about three days, fermented for about 14, pressed off racked uh, and then centrifuge to, to clean the wine up a little bit and then goes into uh, all American oak uh, and all neutral, fairly old uh, reused barrels that we use on white Chardonnay fermentation. So taking out any of those uh, aggressive wood tones to really maximize the powerful Cabernet that this wine presents as. Cool. For some of my listeners who might not understand, you talked about cold soak quite mm-hmm. a bit for both the Pinot Noir and the Cabernet. What is cold soaking? What does it do to the wine? Uh, cold soaking allows um, color to extract out in an aqueous phase or a water phase as juices and um, color the anthocyanin, those pigment molecules come out faster in a water solution than an alcohol solution. So up front before fermentation, they extract out better, they start to polymerize. So you're getting better to, color with it. You're, getting, you're trying to maximize your color extraction from those skins. You only have the amount of time you have on skins to get that color out. And then once alcohol starts forming via fermentation, you lose the uh, the the rate in which you can extract the color sure. because there's other complexes and uh, alcohols breaking down the skin molecules and then tans coming out and that's going to be uh, dominating the uh, extraction process. You mentioned something about price when we were talking about the Pinot Noir. What kind of price point are we looking at retail for these wines? Retail around these uh, around the country are really somewhere around fifteen or sixteen dollars a bottle. So these are terrific value wines. That's the that's the entire purpose and. Because of uh, the facility we're at, we have some pretty good scale, so we can produce a good amount of wines from these different areas and then select our favorite pieces of Arroyo Seco Chardonnay or San Lucia Highlands Pinot Noir or Paso Cab and fit them into the, the austerity program to allow the entire country to taste. And they're pretty small productions right now. We're trying to grow them um, as well as keep the quality and keep the price point. What's the production? Uh, right now, it's a, under 10,000 cases per variety. Uh, so they're per pretty small. Pretty small. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's that side. Tell me about you. How'd you get into wine? I really got into wine just watching my family um, through holidays and uh, togetherness, uh, watching them cook food, drink wine, um, celebrate, uh, whether it's Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter or um, any life event. It was always a, an aspect of food, wine, and family togetherness. And so I, I, I tell the story as I believe I was 12 at Thanksgiving. I just watched my entire family stand around a big table holding hands, but actually holding only pinkies because they didn't want to put down their wine glasses. <laughs> uh, and everyone, you know, kind of gathering together, my grandfather usually leading the group and uh, just saying how thankful he is for having a great family. And, you know, all these aspects are very important to him. And it was, it was just always, you hear the little slight clinking of glasses as people are holding pinkies. and. Uh, laughing and giggling and, and, and uh, enjoying ourselves. So that really stuck with my mind as a young 12-year-old and it just kind of clicked in my head. I, I want to be a part of one of the items in that realm, whether it's 
you know, family of the food of the wine, I just globbed onto the wine and I've had a laser focus since. And so it kind of really drafted what classes I took in high school and college. And it, I started taking as many chemistry courses as I possibly could in high school. So you understood that this winemaking was about a lot about chemistry at yeah, a young and, age. And I believe when I was like 14, my dad took me to California State University, Fresno, where they have an enology program, which I attended, and took me around uh, because we were from the city of Fresno, California. So it was in our backyard, which was uh, opportunistic. And I believe we kind of did a little tour of the farm and, and stuff. I think uh, maybe it was with Boy Scouts. I, I'm very vague on when we went and who we went with. It probably was with Boy Scouts. And I think we kind of tangented off and, and visited the winery there that was a full commercial winery. And I just, that was the cement being poured in the brain and just locked me in even harder. And so again, all the high school was focused on how, do, how can I taste wine as much as I can, even though it was illegal, or smell wine, or just, just have a little sniff. So my mom was uh, always having a glass of Chardonnay or Sauvignon Blanc, and so she lo- allowed me to smell them. And um, I, I can always remember just that aggressive uh, lemongrass. Uh, and to me, it was aggressive as a, a, a young child. And, and then I remember when I was about 16, they started letting me taste and smell red wines at family functions and dinners. And <clears throat> all of a sudden, I was telling people tasting notes and then by the time I'm 18 and um, experimenting a little bit illegally, excuse me, um, you know, I, we, were at, we were at a, a college fraternity party and me and my good friend from Sonoma, we're sitting there drinking wine. At a frat at party. At a frat party. <laughs> and it, it, just, it just evolved from there and uh, went through all of college just, just trying to taste as much as I could. Uh, as well as get my hands dirty and work in the winery and get as much tactile experiences I could. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a do-it-yourself type of worker. I want to get out there. I want to put a little sweat equity into any, any project or aspect of my life. And um, that's how I learn. Reading a book is great, and, but I like to apply theoretics sure, into sure. practical nature. And, and so we graduated from California State University of Fresno in 2010. And uh, I worked there for a year as their assistant winemaker. I transitioned out of that job um, into a uh, Harvest, or harvest intern for Paul Hobbs in Sebastopol. Learned some really great Cabernet Pinot and Chardonnay sure, production there, sure, which sure. has really influenced these wines um, in terms of looking at um, aging extraction and um, really massaging the wines uh, to get them ready. They, those wines are on such a different scale, but I think there's a lot of uh, Yeah, those are not parallels. $15 wines. They're not $15 wines, but you can take a lot of those practices and implement them on here to increase the quality increase the um, impact these wines have, and I can still keep a 15 to $18 price point depending on where you're at in the country. That's terrific. You know, a lot of times people think, I'm gonna be a winemaker, and they have these romantic notions mm-hmm. of crafting, you know, the incredibly small lots of vineyard-specific wines that yeah. are natural fermentation and low SO2 and all that. But you're, you're, you're making wines that are different than that, that are more, um, these are everyday wines. These are wines that on a Tuesday night, if you're sitting at home alone and you want to have a glass of wine, a little something to cook and stuff the cork back in it, you're not going to feel bad about doing. Exactly. And, and the wine holds and still tastes as well as it did the next day. Sure. And that's, I think, an testament to the, the, the structure of all these wines and how we've crafted them to have a little, uh, little give on uh, the, the intensity of the wine so that they can last you know, 
day two. Um, and, and it's a wine that you buy a case of and you can have every single night sure. and mix and match from there and really enjoy with almost any meal, put a lot of different dishes in front of these wines and they go well with a lot of different flavor. Which isn't to say that you're making a wine that's a value brand that you don't have a vision for it. You don't have a, an influence on what you want the wines to be. What's your vision? What are you trying to do with these wines and how did you achieve it? Really, it's, it's looking at what these areas can provide with those varietals and focusing on that as best as possible. So in, in Monterey County for the Pinot and Chard, you're looking at very cool climate uh, production. Um, you're looking to maximize that as best possible and our growers do a great job of growing some fantastic Chardonnay and Pinot Noir from Monterey County. Um, and I really want to harness all the, the hard work that they put into the, the grapes and extracting out everything I can that's good, um, mitigating anything that's bad. So, you know, not over extracting your tannin so it's dry and bitter, uh, but giving it that nice soft suppleness and give it some oomph to get it, you know, a couple years in bottle and still tastes fantastic as, as it does now, um, only about a year in bottle. Um, really, it's, yeah, it's, it's really magnifying our growers' effort from there and uh, piggybacking off, off their work um, because they have spent a lot of time putting effort into the growing season to build all the, all the flavors and aromas are coming from the skins and the juice. And we use you know fancy yeast to kind of uh, manipulate those a little bit, but that's a very small marginal difference. Um, we're just trying to extract out all the good stuff that they put into it. And you're purchasing all your own fruit. You're not growing any of it, right? That is correct. We right. purchase a contract all of our fruit. So looking at just different uh, time frames. So certain you know, growers will test out for one year and then we like, we'll sign five, sure. six, seven year contracts uh, to keep things growing and rolling with a good producer that we know and trust. And, and it's, it's a really great relationship in that way. Should we take some wine? Let's do that. Where are we going to start? Chardonnay, of course. All right. Chardonnay's got youthful color. Got a little bit of... Still a little bit of green tinges to it, just very slightly. Nice nose. There's some wood on it for sure, but it's not aggressive. Can you get those, like you said, apple and tropical mm -hmm. fruit notes? It's a really nice balance of that golden apple, a little ripe pear, and then your pineapple, your little banana. And great body. You know, it's not Chardonnay. It could get real blousey. It could be real austere. This wine is kind of right in the middle there. It's 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 got it's got you know it lets you know you're drinking a bigger grape, yeah. but it's not taking over anything. Yeah, and, and through the the fermentation process and the little bit of lee stirring we do on a weekly basis that balances that out because there's a it's it's a very tart acidic fruit and from then, a cool region. From a cool region, so it comes in, you know, probably about three three pH, and after fermentation you you lose a little bit, and there's a little bit of buffering because there's you know, and get into the chemistry. Is that, a, is that a high pH? Uh, pretty low. Three, low three, three is low? Yeah, the average range for wines, uh, you know, finished wines are probably, you know, Sauvignon Blanc and <clears throat> your Riesling's are probably 3.2. Because three, there's one. nice acidity here. You wouldn't think it would. Yeah, uh, well, it, it's, it's great acidity, uh, and the acidity doesn't change. It, it just, the pH will change due to potassium ions coming out of the skins and then it creates a buffering effect. It's a little, um, you're, you're, a little highfalutin chemistry. Your, your chemistry geek is showing. Yes, sorry, <laughs> let me put that back in. <laughs> um, yeah, the, and the laziness is there, but it's not giant. I think it 
like the oak, it just it contributes to the overall experience of the wine without dominating it. If mm -hmm. you're afraid of an oaky, creamy Chardonnay, like so many people are, I don't think this is going to scare you off. No. Now, it's not super linear, stainless, exactly. you know, no lees stirring kind of. Yeah, but it, it, it's still that minerality just pushes through the And oak. the minerality is super nice. Now, is that common for... All, all the wines out of Arroyo Seco? That's, I think, I think it's a very, every wine I've had from that area, and there's not many people that actually promote Arroyo Seco. A lot more people have gone to a more Monterey Appalachian. Uh, I've seen some small producers that could really hone some great minerality out of their wines, and I, I've tried to reach out to them to figure out what they're doing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're doing a fantastic job. Um, but, yeah, that is a pretty... Uh, common thread and theme for Rosseco and Chardonnay. And, and and that's, again, why I wanted, that's the style I'm going after. I'm not trying to pull any wool over people's eyes. It's mm -hmm. I'm trying to focus on the the Appalachians, which we're pulling these fruits from, and the varieties in which are grown there. These Chardonnays are supposed to be Chardonnays from Rosseco. I'm not trying to mimic a Sonoma Russian River. I'm not trying right. to mimic Right, no, should Barbara. you, right. Because if you want to do that, go there and get the fruit. Exactly, 100%. <laughs> What's next? Next is the 2016 Pinot Noir from San Lucia Highlands. Wow, great cherries and fresh herbs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just there's a huge amount of fruit, but still you get that great earthy tone, cedar note. Mm-hmm. From the, yeah, cedar's from the varietal as well as... The, I was searching for what that that was, yeah. cedar. I normally don't get a cedar note. Maybe it's a, our environment in this room, but it's coming off very savory cedar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's kind of savory. It's not super lush and round like, you know, like that, that super fruity Russian River right. kind of style. Is that kind of this style, this slightly more savory, higher acid... Uh, is that common for Santa Lucia Highlands? I think it's pretty common. Um, we can, I try to maximize the ripeness of, of the Pinot in that area and give you something that has that's great cranberry, some pomegranate, but don't go jammy and leather mm. fruits. Um, and so we and try And this to, is none of that. I think the acidity is too high in a good way for it to go jammy. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not getting any leather leatheriness to it at all. Yeah. And it, again, if you let it go to 28 bricks, it's going to go that way. But we try to pull it in a little earlier to, to really hone in that the varietal pinot fruit that it, it contains and not push it past where it needs to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really nice. And this is all French oak, yeah? 100% French oak. 50% uh, of that is new new barrel. If you like Pinot Noir, 15 bucks a bottle. That, that's a scary place for Pinot Noir, that $15 yeah. a bottle. It's, uh, I'm going to sub-appellate $15 bottles. Insanity. Because there's a lot of bad Pinot Noir out there at 15 bucks a bottle. You know, yeah, it's, there is. But this wine drinks very nicely. Thank you. I just love the, the youthful acid and youthful tannin. Mm -hmm. Not a wine that you have to lay down for three to five years before you can drink it. Exactly. We try to get these wines massaged out so when you grab a bottle, it's uh, pull a cork and go and enjoy yeah. yourself and yeah. have an experience. That's exactly what I want everyone to have in their life is a great experience with food and wine. Yeah, and both of the, both so far, both of these wines are will be great with food. These will be accentuated by food. You know, you can certainly sit down and have a glass of wine with these. Mm -hmm. You know, some wines, 
you got to have food with it. Just doesn't make sense drinking that wine without food. Yeah. These ones, you, they, they have versatility. You can mm -hmm. either have them with food, which they'll be great because the acidity's there and the body's not overwhelming and the fruit's not overwhelming. But at the same time, you can enjoy a glass of this wine. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Let's try the, the Cabernet. We have 2014 Cabernet. Um, 100% Cabernet. 100 so you said 14 was a great year. 14 was a great huh? year. I mean, it was just a, it was a fun year um, with a lot of really interesting lots. And then this particular one was, it just stuck out like a, uh, stuck out like a sore thumb from the start. And it really highlights the Cabernet we like, which is big and ripe, but still has some, uh, savoriness, a little sage. There's a little bit, there. yes, sage, and I'm getting like that kind of. That kind of green olive a little bit. Mm. Um, kind of and this is American oak, yeah? Yes, sir. So that vanilla is fairly forward on the nose. Mm -hmm. Not in a bad way. It's and not even, overwhelming. Even being all neutral, very, very neutral barrels, you still get oak characteristic, which wasn't the... Uh, the idea was to not get any oak character at all and just allow the oak barrels to be a maturation vessel to allow some tannin building and some color structuring. Uh, but we still... Dang oak just keeps on providing. You know, a lot of a lot of people who are in the wine, they kind of look down their nose a little bit at American uh, uh, wines that have been made in American oak. Why is that? What, what what's up with that? Um, I think it's naivety, to be quite honest. People don't understand the difference. There's a, a, a very big structural difference in French and American oak, and how the the woods actually the co the components of the wood. If you look at the the lignin, the cellulose, the hemicellulose of the structure of the, how that tree. Uh, because it is a different species of oak um, than French wood would be. And so there's different components. Like you and I are made up of different things, relatively similar. Um, we are made up of a little bit different mix. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the American wood has less, I believe, uh, lignin. So it's a little more porous and open. Um, and it extracts faster as well oh, as okay. uh, in the toasting process, you get more of those coconutty vanilla notes. While in French wood, because there's a lot more lignin and it's tighter. It's more that baking spice kind yeah, of. Yeah, and then it's slower extraction. It's it's It does bode well better for wines that are going to sit longer. Um, but it, and in the end, it's um, it's each their own. I mean, there's, there's some wines out there that are, you know, two months in American oak or sorry, two years in American oak and are lovely wines. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, and I think it's, I think it's, I don't know, it's, I think the big dogs in Napa Valley have created a niche market for saying the French oak is the best. Right. And, and there's a lot of truth to that, but it, nothing's 100%. Absolutely. Truth, so. Well, this wine is delicious. It's, it's, it's a Cabernet that leads more toward the red, towards the red fruit mm -hmm. end of the spectrum rather than the big giant you know, blackberry, black currant. Um, and like the Pinot Noir for the Cabernet, we want to show you what Cabernet is like in Paso Robles, and that's big. There's uh, a lot of tannin to manage. But and the tannins are silky. They're not silky. The tannins are fine. Yeah. Um, and it, But they can get very aggressive very quick. There's oh, a really lot in the skin. tough to manage that, huh? If you look at the, the chemistry behind the, the the tannins within a Paso Robles Cabernet versus Napa Valley Cabernet. So a lot more in Paso Cab because a lot more heat, a lot more generation of those sure. skin and seed tannins, and you can it's it's trying to extract out the proper amount so that you don't keep on extracting out and sit too long on skins post fermentation. 
So we, we manage that, making sure we don't get that aggressive, harsh tannin that then we have to sit on much longer because we want to we wanna get these wines tuned up fairly quick um, to provide excellent uh, structure as well as uh, drinkability as soon as possible. It's interesting you mentioned structure and that's what I've been thinking. It's like what, what I really love about this wine for a $15 bottle of Cabernet from California, the structure is fantastic. Um, it's got great acid. The, the tannins are fine. You could drink it right now. This isn't mm -hmm. something you got to lay down for five years for the, the tannins to mellow. Um, ton of spice on fruit in the back end, though. Yeah, I haven't had the fourteen in quite a while, so this is it's a pleasant is the surprise. Fifteen, the current vintage. Fifteen's current vintage. Uh, Sixteen just actually went in a bottle, uh, and that'll sit until we release it, and probably right before harvest, uh, twenty eighteen. Yeah, great. Nice. Yeah, nice fruit. Wow, really wonderful wines, and at 15, you know, I get asked a lot about wines that are, wines that we could afford to open on a Tuesday night, you know, wines that are, are a value wine, and these wines definitely fit that structure, and there's enough of it made that you can go out and get some of mm -hmm. it, it's available around the country. Um, Stephen DaCosta of Austerity Wines, thank you so much for your time, your wines are really eye-opening and tasty, and uh, I look forward to coming out to Paso to see you sometime. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. For John's tasting notes on the wines from this episode, go to www.thehonestpourpod.com. Make sure you catch every episode by subscribing to The Honest Pour with John Lennart at iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Play Store. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at The Honest Pour with John Lennart, and follow us on Twitter at The Honest Pour. This has been The Honest Pour with John Lennart. Music by Kevin McLeod.